If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Listeners, you're in for a treat today. We're going to be bringing on marketing extraordinaire, Amanda Ross, to talk about brand building. Part of what I love about Amanda, when I go to her LinkedIn profile, she has this tagline, I don't design websites, I solve problems. And really, building your brand, that's solving a problem. The problem is not enough people know about us, and we want everyone to know about us in a consistent way. I'll share with you that Amanda has had a variety of marketing leadership positions, primarily in the for-profit space, before she founded Brashberry. But she founded Brashberry, gosh, I think like six, seven, eight years ago, really with the plan to be a digital tool building agency for social good and nonprofit organizations. And when I go to her website, oh my gosh, that's 100% what I see. I see case studies of nonprofits that she has dramatically helped in terms of building their brand and getting their message out there. Hey, Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Dolph. I am super pleased to be here, and I hope that I can add some value today. So, Amanda, it's interesting. When I first saw the name of your company, Brashberry, I was like, hmm, (laughs) there's got to be a story behind Brashberry. Yeah, so it actually, there is a little bit of a, a little bit of a story for sure. Um, I originally called the company, it was called Sparkology Lab. And when you start a company, sometimes you pick things that you think sound pretty neat, but you realize nobody can spell them. So (laughs) nobody could spell that name. So then I cut it down to just Spark Lab. And then people thought that I was selling uh, marijuana um, because that became really popular. (laughs) I was like, okay, this is, this is all wrong. Um, And so Brashberry had been something that has been something that I thought of many years ago and it stuck with me, but I couldn't get the, the domain. Um, so I was kind of thinking, okay, maybe it's time. And I looked up the domain and it was free and I grabbed it and I, yeah, just super random. And I was like, okay, that's it. We're doing it. And for me, what Brashberry means is, um, you know, there's that sort of brash side of being 
um, really authentic and having a voice and speaking up and uh, standing out. And then there's the Barry side of also, you know, thinking that we also want to please people and be a professional and, you know, those kinds of things. So we kind of blend those two things together. Um, and that's where Brashbury came from. And that's kind of who I am because I tend to be very straightforward and very authentic while also really understanding that, uh, you know, being professional and making things, you know, not offending our audience too much, right? We don't want to be too crazy. Um, but, you know, kind of standing out and making sure that we're seen and heard while also being uh, respectful of our audience. couple things. First of all, love, love, love the name of your company. Thank Second you. of all, this probably means I'm not a young person. Not in a million years would I have thought Spark Lab <laughs> would be code for, hey, yeah. marijuana. Not in a million years would I have thought <laughs> Yeah. They were like, oh, do you like, do you like make the, and I was like, no, 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 not at all. <laughs> not at all. And yep. So that almost seems like a good place to start talking about how to build your brand because it sounds like maybe there was some brand building there for you as well, going from Sparkology to Spark yes. Lab to Brashberry. Yeah, I think, I think the one thing that people get stuck on uh, with their brand, I often see this with sort of smaller uh, organizations where they get really tied to the meaning of everything. And sometimes we have to slightly, we have to push those boundaries a little bit and even separate ourselves a little bit, right? So, you know, not, not everything has to align completely with your soul. Like it doesn't have to be like your, <laughs> your exact soul partner. You know, there are lots of organizations and ways that we present things that, you know, people are like, well, I would never really say that I'm much more conservative in the way that I talk. And I'm like, that's great. But being too conservative or being too corporate doesn't get you noticed. So sometimes we have to push outside of those things. So even for me, you know, I like being a little bold. I like being a little, you know, showy and, you know, here I am and check this out. You know, it's kind of my, it's kind of my vibe. So I did kind of though have to step back. And that's why Brashbury did take a while, I think too, because I struggled with using the word brash. I struggled with using, because I know that that can have a negative connotation for people. So, you know, we do kind of struggle. And I thought, you know what, just bite the bullet. I like it. I'm going with it. And you kind of just got to go down the path and, you know, make it happen. Awesome. Awesome. Now, when you're working with a nonprofit and, you know, maybe they feel like they're not well enough known or, or they feel like their brand's not consistent. And so how do you work with them to help them ensure their brand stands out? Um, I think it's in a lot of different ways, but like we talk about having a voice and sort of really having that personality and your messaging is really critical. So even saying, okay, what kind of words do we use and what kind of words don't we use? Like what, what are sort of things that how we sort of speak instead of saying like, you know, when I say, oh, that's kind of the feeling I want to get up. I would rarely say that. I would say that's the vibe right? So vibe is one of our sort of key words that we say, you know, we, we talk about that kind of thing rather than feelings. Um, so it, it is in those words and those moments. It's also in really figuring out what those visuals are going to be. What are your colors? What do they say? 
what are your fonts and how are you going to use them, right? Like it is being really consistent in all those things because you know, and, and we all know this, honestly, you always hear people say, well, everybody's a marketer. Well, that's not necessarily true. We all do understand what it takes to get noticed because we notice things all the time. So what lessons can you take from the things that you've noticed, right? So if you go on Instagram or you open, you know, Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever your social place is, you know, immediately when something pops up that it's an Apple product, you know, immediately when something comes up that it's SpaceX, like there are very specific ways that brands do things. And so those are the kinds of things that you have to sort of think about as well. You have to say, okay, in every single Square Instagram, we always put our logo on the bottom right and it's this color, right? Like we get very, we have to be very specific with those things. And then we have to show up consistently doing those same things in our website, in our branding, in everything we do, in our, you know, even in our, our printables and our whatever those things are that you're doing. We have to just push those colors, those fonts, the, the way that we hold our logo um, all throughout everything that we do. I'll share with you, Amanda, when we start a new engagement at Successful Nonprofits, in our launch meeting, we always say, hey, please send us your brand guide. And yeah. I'm, I'm often, I often find it interesting how many nonprofits don't have a brand guide. And I mean, not even like a single pager that says, these are our fonts. You know, these are the fonts we use for headlines. This is what we use for text. This is what we use in print. This is what we use online. And here are our colors. And here's the ways you can use our logo. Literally, most don't even have that. But it's so helpful when they do because while a lot of what we are creating are internal documents, we want those internal documents to be consistent as well so that if a board member sees it, it has the look and feel of your organization and not, you know, the look and feel of Times New Roman. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so, it is so interesting and you're absolutely right. And that is just, it's part of just something we always build for our clients. Like even, even when we do a web design, like if you don't have that, we're building that for you. We're including that. That's something we have to have because we need it. I can't build you a website without knowing that stuff. Um, so we actually go through a process beforehand and we make sure that the colors are right and that everything, you know, is exactly how we need it to be. So we do build those out for clients all the time because you're right. They have, they don't even think about it. And they don't even know where to start. Like, where would I go start with fonts? And I'm like, I totally get that. And I always say to them, we need two. I like three, you know, I like three fonts. I Two are our main things. We like a headline font. We like a body font. And then I like our splash font, which is we, we use, you know, more sporadically, but it's something that it's our standout font. And so I always say to them, look in Canva, it, if you have a business account and I'm not sure about a free account, but Canva asks you, what are your fonts? What's your headline? What's this? What's like it? So you can tell it. You can go to Google fonts and start searching and looking at different fonts and starting to feel what feels good and what doesn't feel good. The only thing I would say to that is one thing I definitely noticed is I know that that sort of handwriting or like hand um, printing style has become very popular. That is actually very difficult for people to read. And that's something we have to always think about. So um, when I do talk to clients about fonts, I think it's really important that we think about um, visually how are we going to read that? Not everybody uh, can read those kinds of fonts. So we have to be really careful about stuff like that. I'll share with you. We have one client who has what I think in terms of their their body font or text font to be kind of a difficult font to read. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, we don't do we don't do brand consulting. So I'm like, okay, this is your font. This is what we're going to use. But every time I read a document then that we produce, I'm like, oh, this is just painful for me to read. It's really <laughs> yeah. painful. And it's not it's not Comic Sans or anything like that. But still, I'm like, oh, this is just painful to read. 
Yeah. And a lot of times they just think, oh, but it's cool. And I like it. I get that. But sometimes we have to step outside of what we like again, right? We, we have to think about who is our audience? Who are we trying to reach? And we have to just think about the normal human today and sort of, you know, how accessibility is really important. And we just have to think about greater things than we ever did before. So, um, you know, yeah, be, be careful with your fonts. That's all I just <laughs> So if I could just share a quick pro tip, and by the way, I only realized this in the last year to 18 months. So in our work, we end up doing a lot of charts and graphs, especially when we're doing strategic planning, because when yes. when we present things to groups, we like to present them in ways that are easily digestible, not, oh, look at this spreadsheet, and you figure out what it is that it says. What I recently discovered is, and obviously in PowerPoint, you can create a custom color palette. And here's the deal, though. If you create it in PowerPoint, you can also use that same custom palette in Excel. You can't create it in Excel, but you can use it. So then when you make a chart, it's automatically in the organization's colors. Nice. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And That's again, amazing. like I had no idea that was the case, but I was, I just got tired of changing the color in every single chart. And I was like, there must yeah. be a better way to do this. There has to be. Oh, I didn't know that either. So we, I don't use Microsoft products. I haven't used Microsoft products for seven years, probably. Um, so I did not know that, but I do know a lot of organizations still use Microsoft products, but I did not know that that's really fabulous because I use everything in Google Drive. So, And it's yeah. funny, I have noticed there are essentially two ecosystems right now in terms of office software, yeah, Google Suite and Microsoft. Like, yeah. like you know, no, no one uses, I forgot what the open source was called once upon a time, but no one uses like, like Office Drive or anything like that. No. Yeah, you're <laughs> no. in one of those two ecosystems now. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about how brands and especially those nonprofit brands help themselves stand out. And I know something you talk about is the unique sales proposition or the USP. Yeah. And I think this is um, what I see with nonprofits a lot of the time is that they tend to focus on their cause, right? Like they think I, this is important, like this is the thing. And so everyone's going to see that this is my cause and they're going to just give me money and they're going to support me and that's going to be enough. The problem is your cause isn't enough. So that's really what we have to decide. What is the USP? So what are our stories? What are we, right? So we have to think outside of the cause and have to come up with the story. We have to talk to people, right? People have to see themselves in the cause, not just the cause itself. So that's what we talk to nonprofits about a lot is like, how do we showcase the true essence of what do you actually do? What is actually going to be accomplished? What are what can we see in the future of helping and supporting, right? So um, with my client, the FEC, the Family Education Center, um, so we did a whole branding around what was their messaging going to be? Because that is really what makes them stand out. Their whole thing is, who do you want your child to be at 25? So it makes you as the audience member think, oh, Okay, I want to I want to learn how, how who do I want my child to be and how do I get them to be that person, right? So that's what they focus on is in helping you uh, develop your child and your relationships and communication and all of those things, right? So to make that that vision of the twenty five year old you think would be an amazing human contributing to the world, how do you make that happen? So that's what we talk about rather than talking about oh family education training. I mean that's. Right. So there's a very different thing there. We talk about the the deepness of what's going to happen. So that's how you've got to do it. This reminds me of a blog headline on your blog that I think I saw and I loved it. It was no one buys a drill because they like to make holes. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, you did see that on mine. Yeah, it's true. Because people like 
when you see any ad, anything, if you are looking at really good marketers, and this doesn't mean you need big budgets. It doesn't mean anything like that. It just means look at these brands that are that you even invested. There's a reason why you don't buy Nike shoes because they're Nike shoes. You buy Nike shoes because of the feeling it gives you, you're going to get out on the road and you're going to be able to run that 10 miles, right? So it's the same thing with the drill. You don't buy a drill to put holes in the wall. You buy a drill because you want to put up family photos or you want to, you know, put your office space in the way that you want and put up your beautiful whiteboard or whatever it is. That's why you buy a drill. It's thinking outside of just the the baseline. And we have to get outside of that and think about what are the stories that people tell themselves about why they need this thing or why they need to help. And part of what really stood out for me around this concept of, okay, no one buys a drill because they want to make holes. There's also lots of manufacturers of drills. Yep. So, you know, do you just go into your local hardware store and buy the cheapest one? Or how do you decide which one you're going to buy? And that's where I think that branding really stands out. Well, absolutely. I mean... Look at when you think of ketchup, what brand do you think of right away? Heinz. Heinz, of course. Yeah. You're not, and yet there are way more than Heinz out there. There is a very specific bologna. Okay. It's a, a, a meat. I am Polish. So there's a very specific bologna that growing up we always had. Um, and so you can't, you can't get this bologna anywhere else, but except at this place called Denninger's. So my aunt who had come into the family later. So she, you know, married my uncle much later in life. So she didn't know this. So she invited the whole family over and we're a big family. So she invited the whole family over. She had the meat spread and my cousin Kelly went up and looked and she said, what is this? This is not our bologna. (laughs) And it is the exact same thing. You know that that is not the right thing, right? There's a specific bologna that we buy and there's a reason that we do it. We trust it. We believe in it. We know it's good, right? So it's, it comes down to those things. Who do you trust? Who do you know? You're going to get the same thing consistently over and over from them. You're not going to buy Heinz. It's going to be different every time. It's always going to be the same thing, right? So it is that trust in that product. And it's the same thing with your stories and your website and your branding. And so let's talk about how all of that parlays over to our website. Now, the vast majority of our listeners already have a website. I feel pretty confident about that. There might be might be 5% of listeners who are thinking about starting a nonprofit and so that it's not a real organization yet and does not have a website. Right. But so for those that already have a website, like how do they, like what are some things they should be thinking about when they look at their website and ask themselves, is this the right website for us? Yeah. So what I would say is keep in mind that people, and I mean, and it is shortening all the time, but attention spans are tiny. We, we are quickity, quickity, quick. So, and now we've got the, you know, the snippet TikToks and the reels and right. So everybody's attention span is dramatically shrinking. So when somebody comes to a website and they're confused, they're gone. Okay. So that's number one. You have to answer within, honestly, it is so short. It's like 50 milliseconds. Okay. That is how quickly people are making decisions about staying on your website. Like it's that fast. They come. If it is busy, they immediately go, I don't know what you want me to do. I'm out of here. Okay. So we want to think about our websites as instead of saying, here's everything, we're going to throw it at the, you know, and the kitchen sink, right? We're just throwing everything in there. No, let's step back and say, what is the number one thing you want them to do? If that's the thing that we want to stand out, we want to make sure that when they get to our website, the number one thing we want them to do is the number one thing that shows up, right? It's the thing they see. It's your button. It's 
click here, right? That's, we want to guide them. We want to be the guide rather than just letting them decide how they want to go all the places. We want to guide them. So like if somebody goes to my website, you either go to the case study or you book a call. Those are two things. Yes, there are other things in my menu, but when you go to that page, there are two very obvious things that you want that I want you to do. So pick one or two, one is better, but two is, two is fine. That's all we should be focused on. So keep it really clean. Keep your messaging focused on the audience and the meanings behind uh, you know, what you want them to do. So who are you? Why do I care? What do you want me to do? That's what we have to answer in that 50 milliseconds. Mm. Wow. That's a lot to answer in like a fraction of a second. It is. And that's why your visuals are so important because people often aren't going to read everything. So that's what those visuals and even what your buttons say are so important. So just having a learn, learn more may not be enough if you have a little bit more of a description above that. We wanted to say like, get all four now. Then they're like, get all four what? Do you know what I mean? So we want to kind of, we want to lead a little bit in that button and not just learn more because the eye is going to the button. If you're, if we're doing this, as I'm just saying, and making it the most standout thing, their eye is going to the button. So we want to kind of lead a little bit with that button. So then they go, wait a second, I need to read this paragraph because now I, I want to know what this is. Um, so that's something to think about, for instance, like, and even with your coloring, think about your coloring. So my brand colors are you know, it's teal is the main color. So to stand out, um, we actually just switched to orange. We were using pink, but now we're using orange. And so we only use orange in the moments that we want them to really pay attention to. We use those on buttons. We use that on linkable text. And otherwise, we don't want orange in images. We, we don't want orange anywhere else because it is a powerful color. So, and it's different than everything else. So that's what the eye gets drawn to. So that's something else to think about. I love that. I absolutely love that. Now, I again, I I spent some time on your blog. I think I read this on your blog, but the importance of picking the right theme and just to kind of set the table for it. Most of us no longer go to a web designer and say, "Make me a website using HTML." No, most of us <laughs> most of us nope. go to a web designer or we ourselves use some sort of like content management platform like Wix or 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 WordSpace or something like that. When you say pick the right theme, what do you mean by that? So. Often what happens, and so, and, and actually, to be honest with you, we no longer um, use different themes. We use one theme all the time. With all of your clients? Every single client. And you can see that they're all completely different. And the reason for that is that the theme we use is a skeleton theme, which means it literally has nothing in it. It is empty. Um, and so what we use to do that, because we only, we only build a WordPress, what we use to facilitate the, the design is something called Elementor. We use Pro, of course, because we we invest in lots of plugins. Um, Elementor Pro, and it's not super expensive, so it's an amazing page builder. And what this page builder does is it allows you to create page templates. It allows you to create your custom headers, your custom footers, and you build all of this sort of in this container area, this theme builder area, and you build all those things out exactly how you want it to be. Like pixel by pixel, I can make it look exactly how I want it to look. Every single one can look different. Um, and so that's what we use because what we found with themes, if you don't know a lot about this kind of thing, then you often will buy a theme because they're like, oh, wow, that looks great. Okay. But if you're going to buy themes, if you're going to not do what I do, because what I do can be complicated if you don't know how to do that stuff. So if you're going to buy a theme, what you need to think about is A, where are you buying it from? 
are they reputable? The person who created this, do they have uh, a large audience that has already purchased this? Okay. We want to look at reviews. If reviews, if there's a thousand reviews, that's great. However, we actually want to look at the reviews. Okay. It's really important to not just go, oh, there's a thousand reviews. Great. This is a good one. No. People can buy reviews today. So what we want to do when we look at those reviews, we want to make sure that the reviews are saying more than love this theme, great theme, really great, recommend to anybody. Those are not reviews, okay? Those are irrelevant things. We want to see reviews where they are actually a, a sentence or two, and they're actually saying something good or bad. They're actually saying, oh my gosh, I put this on, and they're explaining a little bit about what happened. Those are real people that have real stories to tell about using that theme. So that's really important. Um, I would also say, look at when was it updated? If it was updated four months ago, I probably wouldn't recommend that theme because WordPress updates so often and it's super important to keep those things updated due to security issues. You know, we're getting, you know, they get, as you know, malware hackers, all that kind of stuff can happen. So we want to be as close to our, the date that we're, you know, purchasing that theme as possible. So those are the kinds of things I would look at if you're uh, getting a theme from a specific place. I personally use themeforest.net. If you're looking for a great place, uh, that's somewhere I go. But So first of all, I'm feeling kind of good because that's where we got the theme for Successful Nonprofits website was ThemeForest. But I'll also share with you, and this was kind of our take, and it's been years since we did our major overhaul on our website and got the new theme. But I also kind of had the the thought like we bought one theme, it started to get built out, and I was like, eh, I don't really love it. And themes aren't that expensive. So, you know, from my perspective, like, it's much better to lose 50 or 100 or $200 and end up with something you love than go, well, okay, I already sunk 50 or $200 in. Now, now I'm just going to live with it. Yeah, agreed. Um, and I think that is definitely something we often see um, in nonprofits and things like that, because they're already busy, right? As you know, like nonprofits are you know, often doing multiple things, each role. Um, so to go down this path and then go, oh, we're just going to have to deal with it. Quite honestly, in the long term, that's going to be detrimental to you because it's going to annoy you every time. It's always going to have that problem. The other thing that I always notice and I think is important is if you can reach, if you are struggling and you reach out for help from that theme creator and they're not getting back to you fairly quickly, it's time to move mm -hmm. immediately. Because if you are struggling with something and there is no help on the other end, the A, that's just not okay. And B, they clearly don't care about the audience because your problem is probably other people's problem. And if they're not fixing those issues and helping you along, I mean, that's just going to, that's just going to build and that's just problematic. Yeah. So now I'd like to do some rapid fire questions with you. Maybe I don't normally do this, but I, I I'm thinking of some of the questions that many of the organizations that I have worked with might have when talking to an expert around branding and web design like yourself. So let's say I'm an organization and I somehow over the last two or three or four years have ended up with multiple websites. So maybe one for our organization, one for our big event, another one, oh, we have this program and oh, let's create a new website for the program. So, so how do you feel about one nonprofit having multiple websites? I will never say don't do it 100%. There, if there's a really good case to do it, okay. However, the way that websites are built today, you don't necessarily have to do that. Um, and as long as you're using good hosting that's fast and can manage everything you're doing, you don't necessarily have to do that. In fact, I have my a client who came to me and said, okay, we want to have this uh, community that's really focused on COVID and what's been going on. 
we need to make a website. And I, you know, I, I always say to myself, I talk myself out of money all the time. And I said, this makes no sense to create a website. Like you, we have the capabilities because of how we build, we have the capabilities to create almost like sub sites within your site. So you can, you can manage all those things. You can have events on your site. You can have full landing pages that have no headers, no footer, like create them exactly as you want. So the, the capability of one site is absolutely the way to go because it can be incredibly confusing for people to go to multiple sites. On the flip side, to manage all of that just seems crazy to me. Like I just go, oh my goodness, now you're having to update multiple sites on plugins because here's the thing, if you are not updating your stuff, you are opening yourself up to security issues immediately and you're opening yourself up to things not looking right, things starting to not work. So we have to keep things maintained and we have to keep those things updated constantly. I've actually trained all my clients to go in once a week on Monday and just update your stuff. They're like, what if my site blows up? I'm like, your site won't blow up. And even if it does, we pull backups so we can always fix it. It's always fixable. Don't worry. So they feel comfortable doing that now and it's fine, but you don't want to have to be logging into this site, then that site, then that like it becomes too much. It becomes overwhelming. And if you do an event one time, do you really need a whole website for it? Like if it's a sort of a one-time thing and next time you're going to change the whole branding, the whole look, because often, you know, when we do events, we do that. So now you got to rechange everything at this whole site where if we did it on our own site, you can just sort of, sort of create a whole new page that's really focused on that event or whatever it might be. You know, my client, they have their whole online learning management system all on one site, their branded site, as well as you log in and you get access to 20 courses, right? So all within contained in one site. So, all right, that's a great answer. And I also have to share with you the other, the other thing I think about as well, in addition to updating security, if you have multiple websites, you have to keep all of them current. So like if a staff person changes, you got to change them all across the board or suddenly your websites are not, not matching each other. Absolutely. And we see this all the time too, because again, nonprofits are stretched thin. Um, so even on one website, you're struggling sometimes to keep that stuff updated. So yeah, imagine that on three, it's just too much. So next question that I think a lot of nonprofits, especially some of the nonprofits I've worked with might have is, Okay, menu items, top level menu items, whether it's a hidden and then it drops down because you, you know, press those three bars or they're up at the top or on the side. Maximum number. What's the maximum number of menu items we should have? I wouldn't say there would be a maximum number, but less is more always. So what I would say is I had a I had a client where it was they came to me and their menu was like two, like there was like two lines of menu. And I was like, okay, this is too much. <laughs> so there definitely is a point where you're like, wow, what is happening here? So we don't want to overwhelm people. Again, we want to guide them where we want them to go. So we have to think about the most important things. What are the most important things that A, you want to tell in your story and B, what your audience is looking for? Those are the things we want to really focus on. So those top level things, I mean, you want to tighten that up as much as you can. So, you know, like you might have, you know, your uh, about, you might, and I often see about and contact. Those can actually be in one page. We don't need to. If you really feel like you have a lot of contact information, you want that to be a thing, okay, but let's then have that. And as a dropdown, it doesn't have to be its own item. You know, if you have a bunch of services, even within your services, can we categorize some of those things together and have sort of a secondary, uh, you know, sort of spider web of things coming off of those. So yeah, I think um, definitely there is a point where it gets too many, but 
we, the most important thing is just really thinking, what is the journey I want to take my user on? What is the story I want to tell? And how do I get them to what they need as quickly as possible? And it is not by having 50 things show up. People get overwhelmed with choice. So the less choice, the better. Mm -hmm. All right. I've got two more rapid fire questions for you. Okay. All right. My nonprofit has a blog. We've not updated it in nine months. Should we just take it off the website or what should we do if we don't have the bandwidth to actually be regularly putting up new blog posts? So blogs are really great for SEO. I personally think if you've invested time and energy and you were doing pretty good before, A, you don't necessarily need to create new content. Go back to that content, right? Start pulling out new stories from that content. Okay, so just because you wrote a blog, you're like, oh, I wrote that blog two years ago, so can't talk about that again. Of course you can. Of course you can. So maybe go back to that blog and even just do an update on it right? So you're actually just updating that same piece and just at the top saying updated with today's date. And now it's a refresh new pushed out there to the world. So that's one way to definitely do about it. I definitely wouldn't throw that content away. I mean, I think if you've invested time and energy in something, I can't imagine just <laughs> going, well, we'll just chuck that out of the window. I mean, <laughs> that is crazy. So definitely look at ways you can update that. Or even if you've talked about something can you do something where it's like, okay, in this topic, I can actually break that down into four things. Could you just maybe make small mini blogs over four weeks that are, you know, one, two, three, four, boom. Now you actually have new content out of an old piece. The other thing I'm always like, wow, nonprofits are producing content all the time. They just might not realize they are. So like, for example, they write a grant report. Hey, that could be a blog post. You know, our, you know, our program funded by Kaiser. Here's what they did in the last year. Like oh, we produce content all the time. We just don't realize we could we could reuse it on our blog or somewhere else. Absolutely. And I think too, like people get hung up on, well, I'm not really a writer or we have to pay somebody or whatever. You know what? There are tools out there that you can use. There is something called Otter. It is an app, O-T-T-E-R. And you talk into it and it types it out. It's like magic. And then you can just export that. I send it to my, my email address and that I've got this text file that now I can copy and paste, kind of rejig a little bit, change an um and ah, add a headline, boom. I have a blog post. I'll also share with you because I, I work and live in an all Mac environment. Uh, my Mac does that really well too. No no other technology needed. All I didn't do is press dictate and suddenly it types everything out that I say. For sure. And even Google does that. If you're in Google Docs, same thing. So there are lots and lots of tools out there that you can use to make it way easier for you. So my last rapid fire question. I'm a nonprofit. I We've got an amazing website. We really like our website a lot. But someone in our organization feels like maybe we should be changing the text on our homepage and our other permanent pages periodically. Should we be doing that? You mean the words? Yeah. Like actually changing yeah. the messaging? I'm not opposed to it if there's good business sense to doing that. But, and you know, Google always likes new things. Sure, Google likes fresh stuff. Um, but I wouldn't change your core messaging. So um, I would be okay if you were like, oh, you know, we want to, you know, showcase this this month and showcase this. Yeah, I get it. If we're showcasing particular things or particular content or events or a new online course or whatever that might be. That's great. Um, but your core messaging, because we don't want to confuse people. Again, I can't remember his name right off the top of my head, but um, he wrote Story Brand. And his message all the time is when you confuse, you lose. And it is so true. Constantly, it is the moment you start shifting and changing, people come to your site and they're like, oh, wait, I thought 
that I could find this and now I can't find it, right? So we don't want to confuse people. We don't want to make them lost. But yes, absolutely. If you're showcasing new content or something uh, that's coming up, yeah, that that I would be open to, you know, showcasing different things for sure. Good to know. Thank you. That's incredibly helpful. Thank you. All right, Amanda, it's time for the off the map question. And I got a good one. You had shared with me that you have worked really hard over sleep and you always trying new things to help yourself get a good night's sleep. Well, so now I'm going to ask for some personal help here because I'm a lifelong insomniac. I have worked, and admittedly, it's, I only really started to work on sleep hygiene in the last 10 years. So for 40 years, I'm like, oh, I just don't go to sleep at night. But in the last, yeah, in the last 10 years, I'm like, I should really try to go to sleep more. So what are some of the things that you have done that have worked the best in terms of hacking your sleep? Um, so, so many things. And I, and honestly, it's ridiculous because I never feel like, I feel like it's a never ending journey. Like... <laughs> to figure this out. Um, so a couple of things that I have tried in the past, a, I definitely think like, even if you can't get a new mattress, get yourself a nice, um, like a foam or whatever. Now the problem with foam, and these are things you learn as you go, it gets hot. So now you've got a problem. So now you've got this really comfortable, you're laying comfortably, but you're now you're hot. So I am constantly looking for ways to manage my, my, the heat <laughs> of how I sleep. I would say I'm a hot sleeper. And so I'm always hot. So that is one thing. Um, you definitely want to look at it as the comfort of your bed. You want definitely to try pillows. Pillows, people I think ignore the pillow. The pillow is critical in having a comfortable sleep. So I have had, I think in the, just in the last two years alone, I have probably purchased four different pillows trying to find <laughs> the one that works the best for me. And the pillow that I use is, is called the bear pillow, like bear, like a, a rawr, rawr, <laughs> animal bear. Um, so the bear pillow. That's what I've settled on. It's just enough cushion and it has a bit of a cooling element to it. So it's really nice. I also have invested in wool, a wool comforter and a wool. It's a, like a, goes above my foam. What do you, I don't even know what to call it at the moment, but you put it over and then you put your sheet on and then you're in there. Um, I also have ghost. <laughs> See, this is a craziness. It's called ghost. Um, it's the, the ghost brand, the ghost pillow is what they started with, but I have the ghost sheets. So they stay late, they're a little bit cooler and they pick up on the cool mm. in the air. So if you're kind of feeling hot, you kind of roll over a little bit and you'll feel that coolness It's on your sheets. And the big thing is, of course, keeping your room cool. I really believe in that. I believe in earplugs if you need them. If you're a grinder, I'm a grinder. So I'm a grinder and a clencher. So I clench really hard on my teeth. So investing in a custom uh, mouth guard, which you can do the really cheap ways, guys. It doesn't have to cost you thousands of dollars from the dentist. I did this through a company. Um, and I wish I could think of the name right now, smile something I'm sure. And it only cost me, I think $200 and it's a custom one. They send it to you. You take your own imprints, you send it back. They send you the thing. You try it for 60 days. If you're not happy, tell them what's wrong, send it back. They'll send you a new one. So they're fantastic. I can't think of the name of I'll let you know, and you can put it in the show notes if you'd like. Um, and the final thing that I invested in, it's called the Uller, O-O-L-E-R. And this, is, I know you're making faces at me. You're like, this is insane. It is. It's crazy town. So what this is, it is this water thing that goes uh, uh, just below your sheets. So you're laying on it, just below your sheet. And it has like these veins of water that go through it and it can cool and warm you up and you can set a schedule overnight how you want it to 
balance your temperature. And, you know, it takes a little bit to kind of figure out what's right for you. I actually find, I know a lot of people that they're like, oh, I put it down to like 20 degrees. I'm like, you're crazy. You're going to freeze all night. That's mental. My body temperature is 36. So I'm like, I really know that I just wanted a little bit cooler than that. So I tend to go around the, I, I range between 27 and 32 degrees Celsius, but yeah. And so all night it, <laughs> it's this really quiet, like a rumble that you hear and I can feel the water kind of zipping through these little veins and it's lovely. <laughs> mm. That's really awesome. So I'll share with you. I found the perfect pillow for me about two years ago. Oh my gosh, what a difference it made. I'm going to try the ghost sheets as well, yeah. though, because I will sometimes get hot and then I can't get cool. And I'm like, oh, now I'm I know on. that's the worst too, right? You're like, oh, yeah, totally. I mean, winter is great because you can open that window and you can get like some cool air coming in. But in the summer, you know, you're going to crank in that air conditioner or, and that's also not good because then you're dry. So I also have a humidifier beside the bed. Like It's never ending. Honestly, it's never ending. And I'm also sure that I agree with you hundred percent on the cool room during the winter time. We, we live in the, the Southern part of the United States, but during the winter time, when it does get kind of cool, We'll often open the bedroom windows before we go to bed. There's a train a few blocks from our home, so we won't leave them open when we go to bed, but we'll open them before we go to bed and we'll turn the heat off on the floor that our bedroom's on so that, you know, the temperature will drop down into the, by the time we go to the bed, into the 50s or maybe even the high 40s, which for me is perfect. But the the best night of sleep I ever, ever, ever had three or four years ago, I think four years ago now, we were doing a trek in the Himalayas. And so, you know, we were at altitude. It was outrageously cold. And the place that we were supposed to stay um, had kind of run out of places for people to stay. Oh. And so they, yeah, I think they just accidentally overbooked. And so they they put us and the people we were traveling with or some of the people we were traveling with in a, in a corrugated metal shed. And the windows were made of like just thin sheet plastic, not even like plexiglass, just like <laughs> Thin sheet plastic, almost like a, a little more than saran wrap, but not much more than saran wrap. And of course, it got down to you know below zero, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, like like I mean, just horribly, horribly, horribly cold. But so that night, like I went to sleep with literally like my winter hat on and my gloves on, and I slept like a baby. And that, that's when that's why I was like, okay, from now on in the winter time, I'm. I'm going to open all the windows before I yeah, go to bed. For sure. Yeah. And so where I am, because I'm in Canada, um, our winters, we, you know, we get quite cold, you know, it can be, you know, minus, I mean, I'm in Celsius. So minus 21 is, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. I'm terrible at figuring that out, but yeah, it gets, it's cold. It's, cold. it's really cold. <laughs> it's That's cold. what it is. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. The other thing too, is even like, um, wearing socks. So, because if you do like that cold temperature, your feet will get really cold. So if you put socks on, it helps balance out that uh, internal temperature. So mm -hmm. that's awesome. Amanda, thank you so much. And listeners, if you're really not into hacking your sleep, I'm sorry that we went on so long <laughs> about that, but I was loving it. Just so you know, listeners, I was loving it because I'm always looking for tips on how to sleep better. Amanda, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. And, and, before we let you go, I want to make sure that our listeners know how to reach out to you. So you can get to Amanda's website at brashberry.com. That's brashberry.com. While you're there, there's a few things I want you to do. First of all, you've already heard me mention some of Amanda's blog posts. OMG, great blog, great headlines that will make you click. And once you click, if you read, you will learn something. This was certainly true for me. Also, while at brashberry.com, you can also find the case study that she had mentioned about the Family Education Center and how they helped 
FEC grow their website traffic by 73%. And then two final things. There's a free ebook, the four biggest things that nonprofits aren't doing yet that will increase donation and impact. So you can download that free ebook as well as a do-it-yourself marketing audit for nonprofits. There are a lot of reasons to go to Amanda's website. Amanda, again, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And I hope that somebody out there gained some value from this. All right, listeners, if you missed that, maybe you're on the subway or out for a run, don't worry about it. Go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and you can get Brashberry.com, which is Amanda's URL. You'll also will undoubtedly put some more things in the show notes just based on the conversation we've had today, including Uller, because I'm just really curious about Uller at this point. And listeners, if you have found this episode informative, if it has helped you get some insight, there's two others that I think you should definitely listen to. The first is how to write effective copy that gets noted with Nikki Krawczyk. And the second is become the expert reporter's call with Kristen Elworthy. And finally, listeners, please take a moment, rate and review this website and whatever podcast streamer you're listening to it in, whether it's Overcast or Apple Podcasts or any other one. Trust me, it makes a difference when you do that. It's a great way to help us get the word out about our podcast. That, listeners, is our show for this week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. And the lawyers still make me say this. I'm not an accountant nor an attorney. And neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. The sky is blue. Grass is green. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Sometimes the sky is gray when it rains.